Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Seeds of Triumph podcast. We are all about helping service members navigate through the difficult and challenging experiences that come with serving in the military. Here on Seeds of Triumph, we will discuss the good, the bad, and the ugly, as well as provide several resources, techniques, and coping mechanisms that can be used every day to instill overall toughness, wellness, and resiliency into our military force. Thank you for joining us, and I hope you enjoy what we have to provide. Before listening to this episode, please be advised that we do talk about our special guest, Daniel Lombard's combat experiences in detail. There are some details that go into death and trauma and PTSD, and we also talk about some of the really dark sides of suicide. Your health is of our utmost concern, as well as your safety. So if these topics could serve as a trigger for you, please be advised and listen if you so choose with caution. Additionally, if you are suffering from PTSD or you have been in combat and this could serve as a trigger, if you don't want to listen to the episode, please reach out to Daniel Lombard at Project Refit and explore what his organization has. They are dedicated to helping veterans with PTSD and mental health, not only veterans, but active duty and first responders. They offer support groups every Mondays and Fridays where you can talk to other people that may share similar experiences. So once again, before you listen, just please be advised. Another episode of Seeds of Triumph. Today we are speaking with retired Army combat veteran and the co-owner of Project Refit, Daniel Lombard. Hey Daniel, thanks for speaking with me this morning and I look forward to learning more about you, your story, and the work that you're doing. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, So older now, so I'm, th- I'm 33 now. I, I, I enlisted in the Army at 23. Um, I went infantry. Uh, so I did my, my basic training in my AIT at Fort Benning, Georgia. Uh, two months after that, I was on my way to Afghanistan. So I had gotten to the base right, um, right when they went to NTC, which is the training you do basically prior to a deployment. Um, so I missed, skipped out on that. Not skipped out, but I missed that, the, the dates for it. Um, so I went to Afghanistan, uh, like I said, two months after I got, uh, out of basic training in AIT. Um, so we were a heavy weapons company. So we had, uh, we were Matt V's. So it's an, it's a, it's, a, it's an armored vehicle essentially with a V hole. So it's the, it just, it, if, if you have an IED, it'll disperse the explosion instead of it, just all of it hitting you. Um, so we were, we, we had, uh, um, safety measures. Um, so we were, we had five vehicles. Like I said, they were Matt V's. Um, the, the, so I was blown up twice in Afghanistan. The first time was the, uh, the worst. It was 200 pounds. Um, so we initially had, we initially weren't, um, sorry, I'm making, there we go. We initially weren't, 
our job was to just keep the base safe. We were fob security. We weren't going out and doing missions in the villages or anything like that. Um, but we had very uh, high tempo leaders. Um, and uh, we they, they got us to start doing screen lines. So essentially at um, the, t- the Taliban, no, we... We patrol the villages during the day. We talk to the to the, the to the villagers, the leaders. Um, we talk to them during the day, and the Taliban did that at night. So we would go sit seven, eight, eight hundred meters away from a village, watch the village, see if the Taliban came to it, see what the talent, the 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 interactions were, they were whether they were friendly or hostile, and then base what we needed to do off of that. Um, so we had. We were on our way to one. Um, we, let, we we got there around Christmas time. It was the beginning of, de- of December, I, I believe. I forget what the exact date we got there was. Um, so it was cold. So we we were on our way to a screen line, and we got a a, a, a call from the our CO saying that they had five identified enemies with weapons. Head this way um, and engage on contact. So we we had we didn't have our lights on. We had IR lights, so they couldn't see us, obviously, but we could see them. Um, and where we were driving. So we were going through the, uh, the fields and, um, we found them. So they shot a, a RPG seven at, uh, at the lead vehicle, which I was in, um, missed it by like 10 meters. I think the P Ted's the blimp, they, they could, they were watching the firefight happen. Um, so the mounted guns took, took, took care of the, um, five dudes. Uh, one of them still had a gun, so we or they they still had their not all of them were down. They were still had their weapons in their hands. So we the, all the dismounts got out of the vehicles and we assaulted through, and that's where I shot the first uh, first person that I I had to end up shooting. Um, so after that, we had the the leadership saw like the people in charge of like the decisions of who's in charge of what area saw how we handled that situation and we assaulted through and we, we, we played it by the book, uh, essentially. Um, so they gave us, uh, a little more, a little more, uh, control, uh, in the, in the area. So we started patrolling outside villages and stuff. We, we made relations with a lot of the villages. Um, they welcomed us. We helped them in any way. We helped build, a, um, a all girls school that the Taliban had destroyed. Um, so got them going back to school all that giving food, the aid, all the all the good stuff. It wasn't all like, hey, let's go gun run and, and do crazy stuff. Um, so I uh, I was never really a big fan of driving to begin with, like before the military. Um, it's just not my not my cup of tea. I would do it if I had to, that kind of thing. So I was I flopped the I switched a lot of roles. I was dismount. I was assisted gunner. I was the gunner in the vehicle. I was the driver. So for this specific time, I was the driver. The first IED. Um, so you get taught to follow the the vehicle in front of you. If they don't hit a, a an IED, chances are you you're probably not going to. You can, but you probably probably aren't going to. Um, so it was nighttime. We were driving in a wadi, which is a, a riverbed. It's without the water. It's just a, a dried a dried riverbed. Um, the locals use that as a, a means of travel, also. So there was multiple tire track marks. Um, it had just rained, and that's important because when they dig, when you dig anything, but when they dig the, the bombs and put the dirt on top, the dirt on top is always more loose than the dirt surrounding it. So when it rains, it creates a puddle. So it's something you're taught to look out for. If there's a random puddle, like, hey, let's be, there was 15 puddles. So, I mean, like, what, what are you going to do with that? Um, 
So I was talking to my lieutenant about how we were the, there was four platoons. We were the only platoon that far into the deployment. Um, so two and a half, two, two and a half months into the deployment that uh, hadn't gotten blown up by an IED yet. Most of them, the other three platoons had hit 60, 80, 100, 100 pound IEDs, nothing like insane, but IEDs regardless. Um, no severe injuries in anybody, concussions, but no, no, no limb loss or anything like that. Um, so I was driving, talking to my lieutenant about that. How we were the only platoon who hadn't hit anything, but I was looking at him when I was talking to him about it. So when I was looking at him, the vehicle in front of me had made its turn onto the main road. So I had missed where I was supposed to turn. So I guessed and I, I guessed wrong. So my, uh, my back left tire hit the pressure plate. Um, so that blew off and then it combined. So those vehicles use jet fuel and it's, um, not as flammable. It takes a, a, a higher degree of heat to, to actually uh, ignite that. Um, but that mixed with the fuel line. So both, both the fuel and the oil lines, um, blew off obviously. So it immediately ignited a fire. Uh, those vehicles have, it's called a combat lock. It's a, um, each door. So all four doors have a, uh, it's a foot long, like metal lever, pull that shit and nothing from the outside is coming in. Um, so I had forgotten to lock mine. And the interpreter, I don't know whether he didn't know to or whatever the case, he did not lock his either. Um, so when that blast went off, uh, when the ID went off, both of those doors ripped open and the, the implosion turning explosion went out those doors. So when that happened, um, my helmet, it like broke my helmet off, like the helmet strap just like snapped off and my helmet went flying out. And I hit my head on the um, the screen that we use to see at night, but it folds up. But it's a about two inch steel um, screen, so I hit my head on that, blacked out. Um, I woke up and I was on fire from stomach waist ish down. Uh, my like button legs were hanging out of like the driver's side door, so I was facing into the vehicle. Um, I knew I couldn't get out the door because there was a lake of fire. Um, when they when an ID goes off, it's usually a, an initiator for an ambush. So I didn't know if we were getting ambushed, and if I that way was the way they would be ambush ambushing us from. Um, it had the least cover for me. And um, when there's one ID, there's 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 there tends to be more than one. Um, so and then I couldn't climb out the the way I was actually facing because I had my kit on and I had a, a mag like a double magazine pouch. So it's I I was bulky and um, there was only about a, a, a foot space. Uh, from the ceiling to the radio mount, so I couldn't slip through that. Obviously, now I was in I was in fight or flight, so I didn't really think like, "Hey, take your take your IOTV off. You'll fit through through that gap and get out swiftly." Um, I was in, "Hey, hey, I'm dying." So when that IED went off, my helmet broke off, knocked unconscious. When I came to, like I said, the fire was pouring in. Um, how it is in the movie, I, I hate this, but how it is in the movies, like the dust, I don't know if you saw like the X-Men, um, where it's the uh, the boy from American Horror Story when he's he's the fast dude, and he's running so fast that you can pick stuff, that's exactly how it was, like I could pick the specks of dust out of the air, um, wow. uh, uh, the ringing in the ears, but that's, everybody knows that, any loud noise will give you ringing in the ears. Um, but my life flashed before my eyes. So I, I sincerely believed I was dying, um, dead essentially, but dying. I didn't see a way out. I, I, I was like a feral, it was like a feral animal and trapped in a, in a cage on fire. Essentially. I tried, I knew I couldn't get out that way. I tried, I remember trying multiple times, um, to fit over the, the radio mountain. It's, I wasn't going to fit. Um, so my Lieutenant, 
was a um a good man. Um, I used to I used to question his leadership because of how he responded in this situation. But honestly, in the last I think it was the last couple months, this was also something traumatic for him. Um, and I never took that into consideration. So he was more he was from Africa. Um, so he was tribal. Uh, um, he was a, he, honestly a great dude. He cared about us. He would put his head on the line for his people, which you can't not admire that. Um, but our truck was, so the other, so like I said, we had five vehicles. Um, his truck was the Mark 19 truck. So that's the automatic grenade launcher. Um, he was the only African-American person of authority going into villages. So the Taliban picked up on that immediately. Black dude with a bunch of people around him. Everyone's talking to him. Easy target. Plus his vehicle was the, um, the old, the old, the old like green, green and brown, like the dark green and brown, where all the other vehicles were just tan. So I mean, mm -hmm. it's just the easiest target to put a, a a hit on, which that's exactly what happened. We had our truck had a hit out on us, and they thought they fulfilled that. Um, so he was the nick the truck's nickname was Mother Earth, um, because he had an African accent, so he 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 ran mm -hmm. with that too, you know. But um. So he was he was worried about the vehicle. He was I was trying to plead to him that I was on fire and I couldn't get out. And I remember screaming like an adult man, you know what I mean, like a little bass to my voice, that I'm on fire and I'm 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 I need to get out. So the guy who our gunner, so the way the the way those vehicles work when you're when it's an open turret, because there's either the crow, which there's a guy inside with a joystick, and you know what I mean, where there's the open mm -hmm. turret, and there's a guy, there's somebody standing there with the the harnessed in. So this IED was so strong that it just snapped the harness. Harness didn't stand a chance. So Bravo landed on the hood of the vehicle and just blacked out. Um, so fast forward just for a few seconds. Him and I ended up having the same um, psychiatrist and, and psychologist. Um, and he told them that he woke up to picture somebody burning alive. The blood curdling screams that come. That's what he woke up to. So that's obviously what I was doing. I was not screaming like an adult at like in series trying to jump in this. Um so yeah, fire. Um somebody, one of the dismounted 240 gunners had left a 100 round belt of 762 um and it was behind my seat. So the fire was hot enough that it started cooking the 762 off while I was in the truck. Didn't get hit. Oh my gosh. Wow. Uh, that's, that's pure luck, in all honesty. Me surviving was really, in in all honesty, luck because I I was in more flight than fight. Um, I was I I kind of like I uh, the level of serenity that I felt with my life flashing before my eyes, the memories that I had. It was it was my brain either saying like, "Hey, bub, it was a good ride. Hey, here was the good times. Let's let's say bye now." Or this is the good stuff. Focus on this instead of this the the fact that you're probably going to die and try and fight a little more. Whatever the case may be, I um realized I had to take my kid off, so I took my my IOT IOTV off and jumped out the uh the driver's side door or the passenger side door, not the driver's side door. Um, and Bravo, who was who was who had just come uh, back from being concussed, jumped on top of me. So he had uh he had his M9 out and he was scanning on the top of the wadi to make sure we weren't being ambushed because I was like this in combat though i had no helmet i had no gun i had no iotv i was if somebody was assaulting i was going to be assaulted <laughs> um so we got medevaced back we uh we started sorry i jumped a second there he jumped on top of me did the did the scan above the wadi thing and then uh <clears throat> 
We were supposed to run in an orderly fashion to the lead vehicle. The lead vehicle was 7,500 meters ahead of us. Um, I'm assuming they already had the medevac called and help was on the way, right? They no. they were starting to, but th- but this was still so... They were starting to, yes. By the time I got to the vehicle, they were giving the coordinates for the the, the bird to land. But that's that's one of the, the 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 parts that baffled me. So I was running to the vehicle, and when I ran, when like I got halfway there, basically, maybe maybe when I sat in the vehicle, but the the forty mic mics, we had six hundred and twenty forty mic mics in the in that truck, which for people who don't know, it's a soda soda can sized grenade bullet for the crudest term. Um, but yeah, so six hundred and twenty grenades in the truck. Um, so they started cooking off when I finally, when I got to the, to the lead vehicle. So we weren't getting, I, I didn't get hit with any of that shrapnel or anything, but we had my, I had my combat, um, shirt on. Um, so we actually, so I was army infantry. We, that was an air force base. Um, and for some reason, um, one of my NCOs wanted to do a joint operation. There was two Air Force girls that were attractive and that he wanted them onto the mission. You know what I mean? It was a joint operation, but he was trying to throw his weight around. And I don't know how he got it approved, but it got approved. So these two Air Force girls came on. They had never left the base. We had been doing combat, but you know what I mean? Like we were up to tempo with it. They weren't prepared for it. They didn't sign up for this. You know what I mean? Um, truly though. So I was engaged at this at the time. Um, so I had my phone and I would, you know, I mean, music on it or pictures. I would reminisce, whatever, whatever the case may be. So I was in such um, panic. I jumped in the back of the of the vehicle. She's sitting in the the seat across from me. Um, I'm still smoking and smoldering from the fire. So in the vehicle that was hit that you were in, yes. there was also two Air Force women in no, that vehicle. No, they were in. They okay. were in. Yes, that's what. Yeah, they were in different vehicles. So one of them was in. I, it was but either they were the still last out vehicle. on the patrol. With they were out guys. on the mission. Yes, they were just out on and the mission. And that's not protocol. That like that's that, they didn't that's really not, have. That's a... not something we had ever done, and we didn't okay. do it after that either. It was always okay. we went out with who who our people were because that's what we that's how you trained. That's mm-hmm. we like my team leader had to sit back. The seat she was sitting in was my team leader's seat, so he had to when when the IED went off, he had to run to the talk, which is where all the computers and all the people making mm-hmm. decisions are mm-hmm. um and he had to see that see i i would i asked people later on um like once i started my therapies and all that stuff um what did you see because i have my memory and i have what the other people went through so it's there's not a lot you know what i mean there isn't a lot there um so what did you see and the one of the guys from the the, the vehicle behind me said that they thought we died instantly how big that explosion was they thought and i you can youtube it um to it's not my explosion but it's a they, I guess, on this deployment, they found a 200-pound IED and they controlled detonated it. Um, but it's 200 pounds and it's like a minute and 15 a minute and 15 seconds long. But if you scroll to like 35 seconds, it's right there. You can get a general idea of how big the um, explosion was. So I was freaking out. Where's my phone? Where's my phone? And this girl's like, "What the fuck? What is happening?" Um, and I'm, I'm on, I'm, like I said, I was probably still smoking at that point. Um, but I had holes in my combat shirt. That was the point of this. Um, so my squad leader was in that vehicle and he had seen that I had holes where my stomach was not blood, but holes in the, in the shirt itself. Um, so he like stiff armed me and like put me, cause he thought that I had been hit with shrapnel. So it just turned out that when I, when I climbed over the radio mount, it had tugged and pulled and, and, and some of my, like I didn't have scratches or anything. Um, I had a, uh, 
So I ended up getting a purple heart from that because of, I got flash burns and obviously the concussion. But I, I, for a time period, I had believed that I was burnt from the fire itself. But the only thing that I had burns on were my was my exposed skin. So it turns out, after talking with people who are in this profession and whatnot, like medically, um, it was the light from the IED. How bright that explosion was, the light is what burnt my skin, not the fire. Which blew my mind. I was like, oh, because it was like it was like a first degree burn. It was like a sunburn. It was it wasn't even like a re- it peeled a little bit. It wasn't. I don't want people thinking like I had third degree burns from very well could have been, but I don't. Um, it all you would never be able to tell that I was in in, in on fire essentially. Um, the uniforms work. That's just really what it is. I was I was I was in the fire for around a minute. It could have, more than a minute, but it, or at least a minute, but it could have been more. Um, but they, those deployment uniforms are fire retardant, and they, they worked. Um, so that was the that was the first, the first, um, the second trauma. The first one was the first firefight when I shot that first dude. A little bit of my innocence went there, just a little bit. Yeah. I, so I I didn't want to um, cut oh, you yeah. off while you were telling your story, but I actually so I had a question. You know, how did it make you feel? being so young and brand new into the military and you would you say you went to boot camp and then you're training and then boom right off the bat you are in Afghanistan and you had to shoot someone and then then you get blown up so like what was going through like did you prepare for that did you expect that were you like ready to accept that challenge or did it all just come as such a what did I get myself into? <laughs> uh, it was a little of all of it. No, you know, okay. in, in truthfully, in all honesty, I did feel underprepared. I didn't feel like I had the amount of training that other people had. And, and the other, the other, the other side of that coin is mo- a bunch of not most, a, a, a handful, maybe a third of the people we went with had just come back from a combat deployment in Afghanistan. So they were already, yeah, like within a year, like they, they had just gotten back. Um, so it, I think knowing that I was going with them had a, a, a comforting feeling, but they were also honest with us that like, yeah, we're probably going to see some stuff when we go there. Like this isn't going to be some run of the mill, like Kuwait. And this is, I'm not, I'm not belittling anybody's deployments, but like a Kuwait, an, a current Kuwait deployment just to Kuwait. It's not, it's not Actually, like that. Yeah. And I was going to ask you to remind us what time frame was this? Yeah. So this was 2013 to 14. So this was the end of the Afghanistan war. This was like, we were one of the last combat um, units to go, but so if something you'll find with a lot of combat vets who are open about, about what, what, what we've experienced, I had, I, I never really had like, I've talked to some combat vets and they had like a thirst for it. Like, to do the job and like that's been around people who have also yeah expressed a thirst for doing this and you know i had to unpack where that comes from yeah right that's that that is something back here that's something unresolved like that's not a healthy mindset i was fast forward again really i was a team leader after my two deployments and and i would have new new privates and um, I would ask them, why did you, why did you join the infantry? And they would say to shoot somebody and you, um, and I would, I would correct them to, to understand why that's not why they joined. There are other, like, that may be something you're interested in because of what it represents, how it makes you, what, 
it's con- but it's you're, it, you it's wrong to, you're that's that's psychotic yes that's psychotic. <laughs> but um yes exactly. so so i i had the understanding that i may have to do that um i also had like the internal conversations that um well, my unit wasn't ba- like we were like, there's a lot of eyes on you at that point. Like there was nothing nefarious going on. Like we did everything by the book. There was never anything bad. We No innocent people died by our hands. The Taliban did it, blamed us, of course, but we never hurt innocent people, um, which not everybody can say just because of war. Um, but we were extra, we were extra cautious. We avoided, we, we avoided some firefights um, if need be. So, uh, but, but, the the reason I brought it all up is we had a um, it didn't affect me in the moment. None of it affected me in the moment. Shoot, shooting the dude the first time in the, did not. It 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 it's I I even fell into the like because you're doing your job. You're doing everything you trained for. Um, I think in that moment it's acceptable. It's 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 processing it in 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 some sense. In- and in the military, we kind of go through this like indoctrination process through boot camp and through our training to where it maybe desensitizes us from what we're actually doing. So it's like, you know, yes, it's okay absolutely. to feel the way that you were feeling in that moment because that was your I job. Think for, for, for the infantry specifically, because that's all I can really speak on. If we didn't think like that, we would have died. Like it's really that simple. You can't you right. can't think about that man's family that you killed. You can't think of we saw the wives and mothers crying over their butt means nothing to me in that moment. Mm-hmm. Now fucking heart it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking yeah. that they they had to do that. But if yep. you have that mentality, you're going to pause. You're going to hesitate. And there's not just your life on the line. That's really what it comes down to. If it's yeah. just a you situation. Have whatever beliefs you want. Hesitate as much as you want. But this wasn't, this was a, there's 50, 60, 100, however many other people that are, are depending on you to fulfill your role. But exactly. we had a, um, an understanding that we were going to die. Almost, an, it's, it wasn't even an understanding. It was an agreement. Many of us didn't think that we were coming back. So it was really whatever happened there happened. There was kind of like going to Vegas. You know what I mean? Like, this is just what it's going to be. And because of what I just mentioned. If you, if you agree, if you admit that you're going to die there, you're not going to be as apprehensive. You're not going to be as fearful in life threatening situations because Hey, if you die, you plan for it. This is all according to plan. And, and can I ask in your training um, that the army gave you, do they talk to you guys about this type of stuff? Is there any sort of like, you know, resiliency mind training behind, you know, before you guys go out there? Is there effective resiliency training? No. There is the death by PowerPoint that every branch has, that every company has. Hey, these are the things to do to make you feel good if you're feeling bit. But no, I mean, it was all just checking the block kind of stuff. I think like what put it in some, so my basic training, I, I was older. I was 23 where everyone else was 18 They were or 17 right. for that matter. So my drill sergeants kind of understood that. And I was not as immature, obviously. Um, so my one drill sergeant, his uh, uh, Anthony Waters is his name. He's he was the senior drill sergeant, but he's a fun, he was a phenomenal leader. Like I would have loved to actually serve under him. Um, but but he 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 understood that I wasn't that I un- I understood the game, and that's what it all is. The military is a game. If you know how to play it, you're going to get out beautifully. If you don't know how to play the game, or if you break the rules of the game, you're not going to have fun. You know what I mean? So I knew the game. I knew I got to play the subservient person. You're super, you got, I got it. I got all of that. Um, so 
when you get infantry in the army has a um a blue cord that you wear on your shoulder. It's the only it's the only uh, only one that has that blue cord. So it's coveted in our in our our our, um, our field. Um, so when you get that pinned on you, it's a very, it's like the Marines getting the, um, the globe and everything put, it's the, it's the same thing for, 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 uh, the infantry when you get your blue cord. So my, that, that drill sergeant put my, put my cord on me. Um, so when I got blown up the first time, I was terrified. I, I, uh, I was not going back out on mission. It wasn't happening. I didn't have anything to go back out on mission to begin with. So I had to accumulate all that over a month's time. Um, cause it's not like they just have extra guns and body armor and plates waiting for you. You got, you stop someplace in Europe or in Kyrgyzstan on the earth, whatever, wherever it was on the way to deployment to get your plates for deployment. So it's not, you know what I mean? You if something gets broken, it's broken until something new comes. Um, sorry, I scrolled there. Hold on. So, oh, so yeah, after, after that IED, I, um, I messaged him. And I told him what happened because so, so that that's I had honest conversations with combat vets. They, they, they let me know what the real situation, not not the not the lore and all the oh, this mu what actually happens in combat and, and how it is. Nobody really. It's terrifying in certain situations when you're not mentally. There were some firefights where I had rounds hitting my vehicle and I laughed and it had no effect on me whatsoever. But being blown up or thinking there was a disco pointing right at me ice cold in your knees, that kind of stuff. So I, 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 I let him know where my, where my mind was and my um, unwillingness to go back out on mission or at least drive. That's really what it was. It wasn't, it was driving. Control, fault is really what it was. I blame myself for that first time. I was actually going to bring that up too. It's like, you know, did you feel guilty because you were driving and you could have went one way, but you didn't. Yes. And then you also didn't have your combat locks on. Yes. And it's like, it must've been so hard to get rid of that guilt because it wasn't your fault. No, it's still there. No, no, it's, it's, it's still there. Trust me. So there was a, t so like I said, that was, that was my first concussion. And that was Bravo's first concussion. Not soon after that, we were getting um, IDF uh, coming in. So we had to run to a bunker. Bravo had tripped on one of the tent lines. His knees hit the ground, but his brain was still so raw from that first concussion that just that blacked out again. And then our second IED was his third concussion. So he went home. So, and then, so a lot of stuff happened. So, so a, a lot of my guilt comes from the fact that if I paid attention and I didn't look at my lieutenant while I was talking, of course, this, this is all what ifs, of course. Yeah, but I, you I can't think like myself, that. I used to blame myself 100%. Like it was 1000% my fault. I didn't put the ID there. I didn't know it was there. Even if I, even if I did follow his tracks, there's a chance there's, there's a million different variables that are there, but, but in, in, in acknowledging that and agreeing with that, you have to acknowledge at some point, it's a little bit my fault. It is, it is to, to the 100 or 75% degree that I've lived with it. No, not at all. 20, 10, 15, you know what I mean? A low, a low percentage. Um, but yeah, I, I held a, I held a lot of, uh, a lot of blame for that. I didn't drive for five years after the military. So basically that, that drill sergeant said, Hey man, um, I, I, I've been through it. I understand what you're going through. Um, but you're going back out on mission and you're going to get blown up again. Like, that's just what it is. You need to just come to that realization. And that's really when like, Okay, I'm done. Like it is what it is at this point. We, we I had a level of uh, we all had a level of invincibility 
I'm untouchable. Um, and that rattled my, that rattled my, my cage because I almost died. Um, and I don't think a lot of people have actual, like, people, oh, I had a near-death experience. I don't think people have, like, as many near-death experiences as they think. Um, not to, not, like, not, but I think people, that's one of the things people throw, like, oh my god, I had a near-death experience this weekend. Yeah. Like, but like, what, what were the details? Let's get to the nitty gritty first. Um, but yeah, so then I got blown up a second time, and that was no fire. No, it was it was a bad time. Obviously, another concussion. But oh, that's so the the combat lock situation on the first IED. So there's a um, they had to actually once I got meta back to base, the um, they my guys had to wait by that truck for the fire to get done burning out so they could recover it um so that they can't take any of our sensitive stuff right so it took eight hours so i I felt bad obviously like my guys are out there for eight hours now when they didn't necessarily have to be um they found my dog tags that were in the truck um and then i had just bought a knife um it had just come in the mail that day and i had it on my kit and um they recovered it. it. It looked like a World War II knife. It was. It looked like just after the like, just because it was burned and rusted and stuff. Somebody stole that two days before we got. But like one of my guys stole that two days before um, we left for the states. I was gonna have that framed. Everything. Anywho, so um, a contractor had to come out and assess the damage of the vehicle to make sure it wasn't the, the manufacturer's fault or whatever. So he obviously could see what it was. So he said, "If if you did not." If you did, if both of those combat locks were locked, you all would be dead right now because that's what kills people. It's not the explosion, it's the implosion. So the wow. force, so when an IED goes off, it sucks everything in and then forces it out. But that sucking is what kills your organs. So if we, if, if our combat locks were locked, there is a chance that our organs would have been demolished. Um, but they weren't, so that's good. <laughs> Just our brains were messed up a little bit. So second IED, um, it was like 80, 85 pounds, maybe. Like I said, no fire. My squad, my team leader was was in the vehicle with me that time. Um, so the uh, that's the IEDs. We couple. I mean, I had like a dozen firefights, maybe like a, a maybe more than that, fifteen, maybe under fifteen, I'd say. Um, uh, and then we had we had a, a really bad one. We were on a three day mission. Uh, we were supporting the Afghan, the ANA, the Afghan National Army, and so. I said in the beginning how I had leadership who was really high tempo. Um, my my command sergeant major for so that's the E ten and for people who don't know that's if you're thinking of a business that's the CEO of the company. He's the one delegating stuff. He's the one making the decisions for things to happen. He's not making those things happen. So Gunny was his nickname. He was a Marine for six years and then he was Army for twenty two. Seventy uh, fifth Ranger uh, Jessica Lynch. He if anybody remembers she she got um captured by al-qaeda he he recovered her he led that mission um larger than life individual he led by example he was like the pinnacle i got spoiled i got the best leadership in the beginning of my military career and then everything after was just hot dog water um so so he so they fought for us to to get to get on on these these actual missions and 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 do our jobs and 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 help the people that were around us we liberated almost every single village that was surrounding our our AO, um, we helped, like, they begged us to get the Taliban out of there. It, it wasn't like a, an evil, so, I mean, obviously some of them were, <laughs> were Taliban uh, supporters, but 
they wanted change. I, I saw the most beautiful humans in that. And I'm not talking physically. I mean, like their souls. Um, mm-hmm. we, we were coming back from a mission one time, just like a run of the mill thing. And it was just a random little, uh, it wasn't part of a village. He was a random co- compound. It was a husband, wife, and um, two kids, a little girl and a little boy. Um, so they farm. That's their, that's their life, not their job. That is their lives. What they, what they grow is what they eat in the winter. Well, throughout the year, but in the winter specifically. So we stopped there and you know, started talking to him and he was like, he waved us down basically. And, and, and was very, um, appreciative of our presence. Um, they made us non, which is their version of like pita bread, essentially 25 people. That is literally taking the food out of your family's mouth and giving it to us. I have, I, I haven't had something like that happen here. You know what I mean? Like that's, ve- that's a very rare thing, especially in. So I saw the most evil of, of some of the most evil um, in in Afghanistan, but some of the most beautiful examples to be set there also. Um, but Gunny, we were on this mission, and um, the unit we were helping out had gotten ambushed like six to one. They were they were getting shot from every direction except like the the way we were facing. Um, cause we were about a, a click away from them. Um, so one of our unit, one of our platoons got spun up to go help them. So Gunny hopped on that truck, um, or on, on one of those trucks went there and started helping. And he got, uh, he was helping one of the guys I actually went to basic training in AIT with, which is rare that we went to Afghanistan together. Um, he was the 50 cal gunner on top of the vehicle. So he had run out of ammo or was running out of ammo. And um, screamed that he needed more ammo. So Gunny was next to the truck. And he um, he got some ammo cans. And he started handing them up to, to, to my boy. And the way he handed them up, when you raise your arms like that, your side plates raise too, which obviously creates a very open spot. So he got hit and either hit in the right, out the left, or vice versa. Whatever way, went in and went out. Um, so by chance, one of the A&A guys had been, had been hurt minutes before that so there was already a, a medevac on the way um doc ward had stabilized gunny uh on the scene he got thrown back flown back to base flown to germany flown to san antonio um <clears throat> with with project refit we actually got in contact with um one of the flight medics she she was one of the 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 flight medics on the way from germany to san antonio i believe um, cause his story is a part of, a, a part of our nonprofit, um, cause of his leadership. So she saw, she saw a post about him or, or whatever it was that she saw. And she messaged us and she said that, um, he woke up and he asked, or not asked, demanded to take me back. I want like, I need to go back to my men now. Um, and she assured him like we were, we were good. Everyone was okay. She couldn't know that, but obviously she's going to assure that. Um, and then she said that, uh, uh, it was the first time in her career that they had closure which blows like I've never thought the people flying the injured people back, never know what happens to that injured person. So she said she, they obviously him passing is on, it's unfortunate and sad, but they at least knew the end result. So, it, so even for them, there was some closure and they only got a glimpse of his, of, of his character. Um, so there's a, there's a, there's a, um, skipping um so he he was in san antonio and he got a one of his arteries had gotten nicked so he got a skin graft on his artery and just throughout the night his his body rejected the art the, the graft and he he bled to death um so he got shot on may 6th and passed away on may 13th um so they were are very um 
actually we're coming up on that time too, aren't we? They're very rough times. Um, uh, those, 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 those dates, especially then, like we, we knew what happened when it happened, but we didn't know the severity of it. Um, so once we came back from that mission, we had a, a, a huddle and, and kind of talked about it then. And he, uh, he was immortal to us. He, it's, he was a ranger for Christ's sake. Like the, the dude didn't, the dude, he didn't play around. He would come on missions with us and he would find an IED and disarm the IED. Like you wait for EOD for that stuff. We don't have training for that, but he had the experience for it. He would come on missions and he would be walking like 600 meters away. Like you got to stay, you got to stay with us. So we would be doing an AAR after the mission and that would get mentioned. And he would say, Hey, look, I'm a private when I'm out with you guys. I'm not Sergeant Major Barreras. I'm a, I'm a private. Um, if I'm wandering, hey, Gunny, come back. Like Because if he does go down, he understands the liability that he is, but he's also in his head doing his his mission stuff. Um, so there's a so, – and then and then the day he passed away, we were actually on a mission, um, and our CO called us to come back. And you never get called back from a mission. Like, you're doing the mission. Um, so usually that's a treat, you know what I mean? Like, or, or if you, you would think of it as something like to look forward to, but we kind of had a hunch of what was going on because we hadn't heard anything at that point. And he told us uh, that Gunny had passed. Um, I didn't cry. Um, I think, I think with the acceptance of me dying and, and the near death experiences and, and all of that stuff, I think my emotions were truly turned off. Um, I saw other men cry and that made me sad. And Gunny beat dying made me sad, but I couldn't muster up any projection of an emotion. Um, so there's something that 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 Gunny said. Um, so like I said, I was infantry. We had that blue cord. It's a teal blue. Um, something in the infantry. Infantry. That's it's a motivational saying. Um, why is the sky blue? And it's because God loves the infantry. So it's just like a pick me up kind of thing. So whenever we would come back from a mission and there was nothing happened, it was a, it was a good day. Nobody was hurt. Mission was successful. He would turn and he would say, blue skies, boys. It's, we made it. There's another one. Like we're good. Um, so we brought that into, into, into our nonprofit. We saw the, the level of leadership that he, he had. And, and in our, in, in the current military, um, he was the best of both worlds, old school army and new school army. He was old school in the training sense, in the practical sense, but he was new school in the you're a human being and shit happens and you need you need to kind of have some help along the way. When I got blown up, like I said, I had to it took me a month to get all of my my equipment to go to be mission capable again. I was walking in the motor motor pool one day and I walked past him and he said, yo, you were in that that IED, right? And I said, yeah, Roger, that's our major. And he, we had a 15, 20 minute conversation of how I was feeling and how I am and what I need to get back on mission. So I, at that point I only needed, um, side plates and he, uh, he said he had an extra pair of side plates. So you remember what he was missing when he got shot. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I'll never know the answer. I don't know if they were his actual side plates or if he legitimately had extra side plates, but regardless, he gave me side plates. So they were his personal ones or extra ones. Um, I'm, I'm sure he was wearing his side plates. He wasn't, he wasn't dumb like that. Like he, you know what I mean? He wouldn't, um, I don't know. Get me back on mission. Who knows? Anywho. So, so, so he did that. Um, so we brought him, we brought that, we brought that in the project that we did. So I, I finished that deployment. Like I said, we had probably 15 firefights, um, came back. That unit was made specifically for Afghanistan. So, um, president Obama declared the Afghanistan war over. 
so we got disbanded through the rest of uh, Fort Bliss. Um, so I ended up, I was light infantry, and I ended up in a um, an armored brigade, which it's like throwing a cat in water. You know what I mean? It's it's just not. It's it doesn't it doesn't mesh well. Um, it was a very bad unit. They had very bad leadership at, at, at the the mid ranks. Squad squad uh, team and squad leaders were good. Even platoon sergeants were good. Um, but CO first sergeant bad. Um, so I. I waived my dwell time. So I, I, I went to, I, st I was essentially back in Fort Bliss for four months. And then I, I volunteered to go on the deployment to Djibouti, Africa. Uh, I was there for seven and a half months. And that's really where I noticed um, I wasn't who I was. <laughs> um, I was at a very point, angry. At this point, how long had you been in the army? So... Afghanistan was 13 to 14, Africa was 14 to 15, so a year and a half, two years. Yeah, like all, all this, ha all of that in Afghanistan happened within four months. Like that's a four, four and a half month time frame. And then I come home for four months um, and then go right to Africa. Um, real life problems started happening and I guess they started mixing with the military ones. And, and that's really where I started noticing. I was, I was very, I wasn't, Look, I was a very soft person like growing up. Like I I was a bleeding heart. Um like my mom would joke that I was a girl. Like like I was that sensitive about things. Um uh, which I always liked, you know what I mean? It, I I liked having that connection with people. It's 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 not a common thing. But I lost a lot of that when I was there. Um or at least it got pushed down. Um like I said earlier the 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 innocence. That was a very it still is, but that was a very, very big piece of what I, I, I focused on early on in therapy was the um, the absence of innocence that I have now, um, and how I cherished like puppies and things like that, like like baby, like I, I like those things. I, I will kill things to keep that that way, to keep that innocence that pure, like that kind of stuff. Um, because mine was taken from me. Yeah, the 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 IED, the IED is what really took the majority of the innocence, and and for, for some reason early on dealing with the pain, focusing on the fact that I wasn't innocent anymore, was uh, um a topic of interest, we'll say. So I did the Africa deployment, started realizing things weren't 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 up to par anymore. Um, I got back and leadership had changed with that, and that's when the bad leadership actually came when we came back from deployment. Um, we had a, um, his name was Captain Grawl. Um, he was an, an overtly religious person, like not the, like the, 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 her, the heretic kind, you know what I mean? Like the, he told soldiers if they masturbated, they're going to hell. Like, you can't do that. You're not allowed to do that. There's rules no. against that actually put in place. Um, so I, I had started my behavioral health. I had started going and talking to um, somebody I'll just to lighten the, the conversation up a little bit, I'll tell you why. So you know the um you know the iPhone game Fruit Ninja. Mm-hmm. So I, me and my room my roommate because I lived in the barracks. Me and my roommate were playing. We were bored. We just got off work. It was bored. We were bored. There was nothing to do. So we started playing Fruit Ninja. Yeah. In real life, like I had like kiwis and oranges and limes and stuff and throwing them in the air. And he had a kitchen knife and was just cutting them out. <laughs> so like things safety briefs are made for, you know, are made from. <laughs> so I was wearing a gray Hanes t-shirt and I threw the, it was a kiwi. I threw the kiwi up. He hit it and it hit me right on the nipple and it made a wet mark. And he was like, Oh, you're lactating. And I was like, no dude, you just hit me in the key in the uh, nipple with a wet kiwi. It's going to make a mark. So I lifted my shirt up and I squeezed and like yellow, yellowishy orange, liquid started pouring out and i was like not pouring dripping out um lifted it up same thing for the other one 
I go to, I obviously go to sickle. Like we're that's, that is an alarming thing to happen. Um, long story short, they tested me for brain cancer, breast cancer, testicular cancer. Um, and then the PA was like, it's either those three things or stress. I know for a fact it's stress. He's like, yeah, we're, we're checking for cancer anyway, bub. Like it's free, free cancer checks. Why not? So I did that. They all came back negative. Obviously I don't, don't, don't have cancer. Cool. Um, so I, I had, like, I had to do therapy one time. It was like a requirement. That was his, that was his prescription essentially. So I did therapy and I got, a, um, it was the units behavioral health. So there's military people who are not, not clinicians, but they're in that realm. Um, and then there's the contractors who are the actual clinicians. So I had to talk to a, 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 a an army girl and I had a lot of stuff going on at that point. I was dating, like I said, I was, I was, I was dating a girl who was not, um, she had her own, has her, had her own issues and she had gotten pregnant and, um, I've, I've always wanted the kid. So she had gotten pregnant and she, I was very numb then. I was very desensitized. I was not, I, I wasn't properly doing therapy. I was doing therapy, but I wasn't really applying myself. Um, so I, 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 I relate this to, a. um, her trying to get some emotion, invoking some emotion out of me, but she had a miscarriage and she went to that. She's, it was a long distance relationship. So there was no like, um, so she had a, uh, she had a miscarriage, but she lied and told me she got an abortion. So like that, like, yeah, like that obviously didn't sit well with me. Um, so I, I had, so when, when I started this therapy, that got brought up, Afghanistan got brought up, childhood shit got brought up, the current life, all that stuff. This girl was crying. The girl I was talking to, like, I'm feeling like, I would feel things I feel. And it's, she I mean, was it's, your provider. She was, she was actual... like the intake person, like to see okay. if I, if, if it was just like I a mun mundane issue or I actually do need to talk to a clinician. Um, so she, which, which her doing that, like I've said that to people and they were like the unprofessional, maybe, but that shit put me in my place. Like that made me realize how severe my stuff was where I was just chalking it off as everyday problems and repressing it. Like this girl who didn't know me two hours ago, is bawling her eyes out because of the stories I'm telling. I should be feeling something along those lines too, like something. So, so even to this day, I struggle crying. I, I've, I've, I, I, I can count how many times I've cried in eight years um, on one hand. Um, so I'll get the the welling in the throat, the frog in the throat. My eyes will tear up slightly, but it never, it never crosses the fence. It never, it never hits that point. You know what I mean? It always dissipates before I get the satisfaction of crying. Um, so she was like, yeah, um, let me make a phone call real quick. So I think that day or was the next day I was talking to a clinician. Um, I started CPT, some in-depth in therapies and stuff. And then, um, mm -hmm. while I was on my leave from Afghanistan, so this is backing up a little bit. Um, I ran into some friends that I used to hang out with and stuff. And there was a friend of a friend who is James Corbett, the other co-founder of Project Refit. Um, so that's where him and I met the first time. You know, I mean, it was the bar, so it was me coming home from leave. So he met me. I didn't really meet him too much. <laughs> um, but we, he, so when I was doing my therapy, oh, that's, I was on the bad leadership still. I'm sorry. So I was doing therapy and they were slotted to go on a deployment to Kuwait. So that's three deployments back to back to back. I'm going to be on now Kuwait. Like I said, I'm, this is no judgment on anybody. It was what my specific deployment was going to be because it was an armored battalion, it was going to be gunnery and training stuff that I'm, like, I'm taking care of my mental health. I'm not putting that aside for, I'm going to be honest with you, if it was a combat deployment, I most, I probably would have gone. I Should I have? Probably not. But I probably would have. 
um, where the fact that I knew it was trained, they did gunnery, which I don't know if they take all of the Bradleys out and they do this mun, this stupid, it's not stupid, it is practical training, but they just do it so many times and it takes so long and it's so tiring and exhausting. And I knew I needed to focus on therapy and my brain instead of doing that because I'm not going to be in the military forever. Um, so he had kicked too many people out of the unit for stupid things that they didn't have the numbers for deployment. So he brought some people back and then he was begging people who were slotted to leave to stay. Why are you leaving? All this kind of stuff. So I was in the process of getting medically discharged. Like it wasn't like it was like uh, I had gone to appointments. <laughs> um, it's not like it was we were just talking about it. So he uh, he was he was refusing to let me not he was refusing for me to stay back and take care of myself. So I had to go to the OIC of the behavioral health appeal to him. And he said, so you can't deploy. And I was like, that's, that's why I'm talking to you, man. What do you mean? And he's like, no, so you can't deploy. I was like, yeah, I mean, yes, I agree with you. He's like, boom, he signed the paper right there. He needed me to say it is what it was, um, which I didn't know, but I, I wholeheartedly agreed with that. So I took that paper back to Captain Grawl and he said, um, word for word. Now I have always kept my military bearing. This is the, this is where I lost it like the most. And it's not even that bad. Um, he said, specialist Lombard, do you even want to deploy? And I said, sir, I'm going to be honest with you. I just got back from back-to-back -back combat deployments. Africa wasn't combat. We got spun up a couple times for combat, but it didn't amount to anything. Um, but now I'm, I'm diagnosed with PTSD. Like I'm trying to take care of my stuff now. Here's the paper. And he said, if you can't deploy, you are of no use to the army. That's a spit in the face. To me. I mean, back then I was like, yeah, all right, like whatever you <laughs> cool guy. All right. Um, and then the first sergeant was bad too. He just, they violated, they violated soldiers rights and trust. Um, I don't even want to get into how negative it is because I probably won't come out of how negative that is. Um, so when I started therapy, um, I'm somebody who I'm immersive. If I find something that works, we're running with it and I'm deep diving into it. Um, so like I, it took me a couple months to, um, get past the stigmas of therapy, get past of the preconceived notions I had of what therapy was going to be. Um, also as a combat veteran, I was in a place where I needed to talk to somebody who had gone, I believed I had to talk to somebody who had gone through what I had gone through to heal what I had gone through. Um, so I, 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 I was looking online because um, I knew I was getting out at this point. I knew I was coming back to Jersey. Um, so I, I, I looked online for, uh, combat veteran support groups. It's really that simple. Um, but I need this, like how you said in the beginning, the video, like, even though this is audio, the video makes it feel like we're actually having a conversation. Mm -hmm. It shows that you're, you're even retaining anything that I'm saying, because this doesn't always feel good to talk about. So if, if you don't care, like we just won't talk, you know what I mean? So I love that you did that. Thank you. But that's the whole, that was the whole premise behind what the, the nonprofit I found. It was, um, it was only typing. So I got paired with a guy. I tried it. I wasn't going to say like, screw it all off the bat. Um, so I got paired with a guy who is in the Navy in the eighties. Now, right now I would love to have a conversation with that man. But at that time I was unreachable to him. Like he was never going to get where he needed to get to, um, or I needed him to get to for that matter. Cause it's a me thing. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not on anybody else. So, so James got in contact with me. I had made a post on Facebook saying, um, I'm not me. I'm not the me. Like, like I am, but I'm not. I'm more irritable now. I'm jaded. I have PTSD. So like the, you're going to see parts of me that you didn't see before because they weren't parts that were there before. I'm, it's my experience. If it's experiences have changed me and um, 
it's truly not a you thing. It's me. I'm working on it. So don't, I hate when people say sorry, like my girlfriend does it. Um, like to this day, me, it's a me thing. Like I'm irritable. Sorry. No, I'm sorry. Like, hold on now. Um, but James reached out to me and, and, and he saw that and he saw that as like a sign of leadership and, and he had questions and ideas prior to this. Um, but he asked me what the army does to prevent PTSD, um, from happening and from suicidal attempts or ideations from occurring. And, and if you get diagnosed with PTSD or you do have suicidal attempts or, or, or thoughts, how do they combat them? And I was being ushered out. Uh, um, so I said, yeah, that. I mean, I hate to cut you off, but no, like no, I'm no. wondering the same things, right? As I listen to your story and hear your story and, you know, you're doing this deployment and then <laughs> instead of addressing, you know, are you okay and making sure that you're okay, they're like, nope, whatever, you're going to go on this next deployment. So then that happens to you. And then again, without uh, addressing if you're okay or asking what you need, they're like, okay, what else can I take from this yes. person? And they ask you to do another deployment. So I'm really wondering, like, because in in the Navy, I've I've been on a couple deployments. One was a combat deployment. I wasn't involved directly in deployment, but they make us do these mental health screenings or these post deployment health screenings. And how, but, I but, like to think, how did you fill them out? Truthfully, how did you fill them out? Ah, uh, okay. So that that's a good. You know point where I'm going. I, that. That, yes, I do because one of them I filled out was probably not as truthful as I could have been because I didn't want that to hold me back from future opportunities. Yes. And then the second one, I was like, you know what? I have to be honest. I need help if I am fully honest and maybe even a little bit overly, you know, exaggerated yes, yes, with how I'm yes. feeling. Then I will get flagged and they'll give me these resources and help. So it's, it's a shame that you have to, and I know what you mean. It's not even exaggerate. It's not, it's not even really embellish. It's, 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 it's explain in further detail to convince you that I need the help. Um, yes. yeah, no. So that, that, that they, they would obviously, they gave us the same, the same assessments, but look, look we're, we're for the, we're calm. Like I was infantry. My job is war. My job is combat. So if, if, and that's not me, if this is, this is through and through the infantry, if you answer one of those questions, truthfully, you're not deploying. You're not, you're not doing your job. You're being held back. Not only is that a, a personal issue, your purpose is gone. You're being judged by other people. People say they're not going to, but everybody judges when you hear somebody has behavioral health issues because of the social stigmas that are out there. Yeah. It's that's just, so toxic. It, 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 it really is. So, so like when I was in behavioral health, my direct leadership was extremely supportive. My, my squad leader, team lead, well, I was the team leader, my squad leader, platoon sergeant, the officers were a little more, eh, but even like the old school dude, they were in therapy. So they, they supported it. Um, it was like I said, the higher ups. Um, so James got in contact with me. We had that, we had that conversation. Um, but it was him and I were talking on Facebook messenger. And I need, I need to see your face or hear your voice. Like it's got to happen. So I asked him simply, I said, yo, can, uh, can we, cause they, the messages were, they were getting chunky. Um, and I'm bad with, I'll answer the last thing. You, you know what I mean? Like I have a bid. I'm mm-hmm. not going to answer this first six points. You're getting the last point. Um, <laughs> so he said, of, like, of course. So we had a four hour conversation. So I was in therapy at that point, like, like in therapy, I was doing it. One hour therapy is useless. Not mm, back then it was to me. It wasn't doing what I wanted it to do. I, I wasn't getting enough out of it. I can tell you how the last hour was. Like, look, we've been talking for an hour and I haven't even really gotten into a lot of it. Like I've told you some of the, 
an hour therapy isn't enough. So, so James and I had a four hour conversation and that conversation made me realize that I don't, and it's also like my therapist, uh, she was phenomenal civilian. Um, both of them made me realize that I personally do not need an need another combat veteran to talk to, to process my issues. It, it streamlines it. It helps expedite it, it. It breaks a lot of barriers down, but it's not a requirement anymore. Um, also him and I, uh, we realized it's the peer, the peer thing that worked. Clinical has a, a, a dirty feel to it almost. You know what I mean? Like it, it has that over with like the eyes, behind, you, you don't know who's watching kind of feel. Where are these records going that I'm telling you? Um, where him and I just had a very personal conversation. He was the critical listening. So that's the other thing. I, I, I find that it's difficult to talk to people about your issues because once people hear issues or trauma it's hey i also have that or hey my trauma i went through that too and i feel x y but i'm talking to you about my trauma like what can we talk about mine first and then get to yours i'll listen i swear to god i will but like it's a there's no it's there's too much comparison and there's too many pissing contests going on out there especially especially in combat veterans this the whole male bravado that it's look the it's people say like the marines are a cult it yeah yeah like I, I, I can see why that's said. Same thing for the infantry. You're in, in a sense, you are brainwashed to think you are more superior than other people because of your role. Now, again, it's that's that's necessary for combat. That that sense of arrogance, I think, is perfect. Not perfect. Is well suited for combat. Um, but it's when you leave combat, when you're done, even when you're done that deployment, when you come back to the states, that has to get washed away. That has to get cleaned and reintegrated back into society. Um, so James and I came up with project refit, um, the peer to peer support aspect. So it started, um, just helping veterans. Like we wanted to save one person's life. And, and, and what we, what we, what we realized is that, um, people want to talk. They just don't have anywhere to talk. They have nowhere to talk. So I, so, so what, one of the things we talk about in, in refit is um, like the tribal mentality back in the Aztec, Mayan, even the Romans, those, those tribal times where when the warriors fought for the society and then came back the entire, the, especially like the native Americans, they would, they would get um, wooden planks and they would, there would be spikes on them and everybody built the, the old people, the women, the, the people who didn't go to war, the warriors would all lean into these spikes and bleed. They felt they pierced their skin. They would feel the same level of pain. PTSD did not exist in these societies. It wasn't relevant because they all they all understood what the pain was. Um, we don't have that in society anymore. Like I said, there's the comparison. There's the, the we're not bleeding together. We're bleeding individually and saying my blood is worth more than your blood. My the reason my blood is being spewed is worth more is is worthy more than yours is. Um, so so right now we have we have zooms every Monday and Friday. Um, 9 p.m. Eastern until roughly around midnight. Uh, the Monday one is live streamed to Facebook. So I will talk about what we've talked about today. Um, I have a suicide attempt from 2016, 17. I forget which one it is. Um, it was on the anniversary of Gunny's, um, uh, the, the, the day he got shot. I, I was on rear D. They were in Kuwait, actually. Um, and I had drank a whole bottle of Crown and saw a bottle of pills and said that the seemed appealing. Luckily, I was on FaceTime with my friends. So I think it was truly a cry for help. And that's something we talk about. So, so I don't I'm, 
I'm in school for psychology now, right? So I have my associates in psychology. I'm going for my bachelor's now. End goal is to um, either have my master's in social work or in mental health counseling, um, and then to give therapy and counseling to um, veterans with PTSD. Veterans, but obviously my wheelhouse is, is veterans with PTSD. But with that, I think that something that isn't, something that's not talked about is isolation. We all know about drugs and alcohol. We all know that's the common vices. We all, everybody knows that stuff. Um, but I don't think isolation is really talked about. The reason I did, sure, the alcohol had a, an, a, a say in it, a whisper in it, but it was the isolation that pushed me there, that made me want to do that. It was being stuck with my thoughts, only my thoughts, not having somebody being able to conflict with my thoughts, my beliefs. Um, and if, I mean, if you're not, if you're not voicing your opinion, if you're not voicing your thoughts, and I mean like your true beliefs, your core beliefs, the beliefs that guide your decisions on your daily shit. If you're not talking about that and they're toxic, they're festering in your mind and they will win because you're not addressing them. So I don't think the majority of people, not talking veterans, I'm talking people who kill themselves are suicidal. I don't think people don't want to live. I don't think that they're just, I want to die. I think that we have too much pain in life. Regular society also. There are people think that you can only get, I used to think you can only get prior to all this shit, obviously, that you can only get PTSD from war. And then you get knowledgeable on things. It's anything your brain dream, deems traumatic. You could see a car accident. You can get, you don't have to be in the car accident. You can witness it. You can have somebody tell you a story of a car accident they witnessed. And, and that will trigger that trauma. That's it. Yeah. That's just how it is. Um, so I talk about my, sh my stuff on the zooms on the, on the live stream one, because there's obviously a stigma. Wait, yes. Daniel, I want to go back to sure, what you sure. said about isolation, mm -hmm. because I think that's such a, like you said, it's, it's a factor that is not well talked about or addressed. And I just want to say to you and to the audience listening that I 100% like agree and support that because with my trauma, and my PTSD. And when I considered suicide, it was not because I was suicidal. It was not because I wanted to die, but it was because I was isolating myself. I was isolated in that the people that used to talk to me or that I did feel supported by, they weren't there anymore. Mm -hmm. And the people that I expected to support me were also not there. So I didn't have, I, I was isolated. And that is what ultimately led me to that. And it was so unhealthy. And sometimes we do purposefully isolate ourselves. And that's when we really need the support systems like yourself, like your nonprofit, like competent leaders to really come in and intervene and reach out and help. That no, is I, I one agree. of the main sources of prevention. I think it's, well, number one, it works. Isolation works, and that's why it's so addictive. I can look. My my drug is isolation. That's what I use to control my anxiety and my and all the other things. But there is a very, 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 very fine line, and it's a very easy fence to fall off of. Um, it's control. It's control. That's what it is. I can. I nothing's coming in my house. There's nothing threatened. My house is safe. That's good in extreme moderation. Um, but I think something that isn't also isn't talked about it. Look, people with, with trauma, 
and and I, I I don't say things like this often on 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 the off chance that people view them as like corny or cliche or something like that, because um, I could see how we're fighting every day. Like it's it's a it's an everyday fight. And I'm going to be honest with you, the times that I've been pushed to my negative thoughts have I'm tired of fighting. I want to live a life where I don't have to fight anymore. That life is not in my cards. I will be fighting for the rest of my life. That, that's just what this is. That's that's the game I'm playing now. Um, but I don't want to. And when, I, when I'm in a bad place, that is the overwhelming voice. Like, dude, you can stop fighting now. You've been fighting for this long. Like, it's it, So that you have to tell. This is another thing I say, and I, I think it's especially in men, but anybody in combat roles, really, or these, these authoritative roles. Um, when I'm not in, when I'm in anything but a neutral place, I have a chip on my shoulder. I have a sense of arrogance to me. I am, I am one of the most self-conscious people. Like it's 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 to a very bad fault. Like it's it's a very self-deprecating thing. Um, working on it, but it's just not. That's <laughs> it's just not there. Um, I am in no way, shape, or form. Um, you know what I mean? Like I don't. I don't. It's not. It's not my person. But when I'm not good, oof, I'm arrogant. The world does. The world owes me everything. I've been through hell, and you haven't. So you owe me everything. It's not realistic. It's not rational, logical thinking. I'm obviously not doing well in that place. Um, but I think it's also okay to feel when, again, in moderation, to feel like you're tired of fighting. Address it. I'm going to keep fighting. This is another thing. Man, my my mind's racing now. So after that attempt, um, I realized the severity of where I was. Um, I knew I was bad. I didn't know I was that bad. <laughs> um, so I made a little a little contract with myself that as long as I can perceive that there is one person who gives a shit about me, they don't have to love me, that me not being here would negatively affect them, um, I won't do it. Not that I can't. I won't do it. Um, and then the other thing is, look, we don't know how – we don't know what happens we don't know what happens when you die. Um, I, I'm in an, an excruciating, even to this day, um, like it's, I have, co I have my coping mechanism and I have my positive things that keep me grounded and everything, but I have my bad days where I feel like giving up also. Um, but there's shoot, hold on, hold on. I scrolled for a second. Oh, um, contract, uh, me. Oh, we don't know what happens after. So what happens if theoretically, 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 good Lord. When you die, you, you're stuck in eternity with the last emotion you had or the last thought you had. Like, what if that is the last imprint in your mind and that is it? No, absolutely not. Like, I'm not dealing with this shit for eternity. Like, 20, 60, 40, 50 years is bad enough. I don't want to... Eternity's too much. Right. Um, so, and then obviously when you... Like, I'm in a very healthy very healthy relationship now. So that's obviously the, 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 the number one reason. It's, it's small victories, I feel. So we have those Monday ones. The um, the Friday ones are not live stream. Veteran first response. Still, it's the same thing. Um, mm -hmm. just not live stream. It's more of a private thing. So what? So these zooms we have moderators. There's a, a handful of us. Um, so we have we have four rules. They're they the rules are expanding. They're not fluid. The rules are the rules are pretty pretty uh, 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 concrete. Um, so the first one's like respect the moderator's decisions to guide the conversation. We're all vets. We all have very domineering personalities. We want to tell our story a hundred percent, but if we're guiding it, respect who we're talking to. That's really what that is. Uh, respect the other people. Um, maybe you should word it that way, actually. 
Um, the second one is uh, there's no racism, no homo. Look, we curse. You can curse. Any curse word you want, really. Curse word. But nothing derogatory. Nothing gender-related. Nothing racial. Nothing political. We, we, are a, we are a everything. You know what I mean? Straight down, straight down the middle. Um, the third one is a lot of us have TBIs or ADHD. Something that affects our memory. Try not to. And it's hard, especially in the group environment, because people have things, substantial things they want to give to the conversation. Try not to interrupt people because like you've just witnessed, I squirrel even without getting interrupted. Sometimes I interrupt myself while I'm thinking. Um, so we try not to interrupt. And then the last one is uh, this is peer to peer support. Uh, if you have a certification or degree in anything, it is irrelevant here. You are not allowed to diagnose. You are not. None of that shit is allowed. If you come into the you're allowed to talk about the types of therapy you've been in how it's worked for you, how it hasn't worked, you're, all of that, your traumas, you're allowed to talk about all of that stuff, your addictions, there, it's, it, it, it is a completely unbiased um, area. And if there seems to be a biased part, that biased part gets eliminated. It's, this is truly for healing, you know what I mean? And, and something we've come to terms with and realization is that um, anything that perpetrates stigmatisms or anything, any of the isms really, does not benefit you. If we're trying to heal, we're trying to better ourselves. Isms do not better anybody. So we have the Zooms. If you want to get on the Zoom, um, our website is projectrefit.us. So once you go on the website, the um, email subscription window pops up. Sorry, blank there. And once you put your email in there and that window closes, um, you'll see right in the bottom or right in the left, it's the like you don't have to scroll. This is if you're on the on the website, like computer, not on your phone. Phone and you just scroll down a tiny bit, but you'll see join Zoom. If it's in that in the um, 9 p.m. midnight Eastern uh, window, then you'll, it'll take you directly to us. Um, the other thing about that is if you want to come in and just see what that's like, because the Friday ones are different than the Monday ones. The Monday ones, because it's live stream. Not a lot of people are coming in. It's Monday night, so work, everything. Not a lot of people are coming in there and, and, and talking about too much. They are. It's welcomed. It's not shied upon. But it's more the the um, just the decompressor, really. We're and, Friday. And if you, if you join um, your guys' Facebook page, too, they're posted on there, right? So if yes, anybody's the, curious, the they can one, always yeah. go and look at the previous ones. Yes. Yeah. You can look at all the, all the previous Monday ones. Like I said, the Friday ones and the Friday ones, I'm going to be honest, are where the, the, the really in-depth and, and healing conversations happen, but the Monday ones have their place to show that this is acceptable and, and, and you shouldn't be ashamed of talking about these types of things. Um, the other thing we do is we have retreats. So once a year, we have a couple, we have one big one once a year, and then we have a handful of uh, mini retreats. Uh, we have one coming up in two weeks, 12 days. Um, but the big one is, is really what we, we, we hang our hat on. Um, so we last year, um, June for six days, we camped on Stillwater ranch. They are a 501 C a veteran nonprofit in Loveland, Colorado. If you're in that area, check them out, go to that ranch. It's free. You don't have to pay to go to the ranch or anything. They have horses, goats. You can help train your service dog. If you have one there, they're beautiful people. Um, Wendy and John and Brady. Um, so we camped on that ranch for six days. We flew everybody out. So it was uh, 14, four, 13 veterans, um, sorry, 12 veterans, a female cop and her 17-year-old son. Is so there we, an application process yes. to get on these on, the, on okay. the website, if you go on the website, you'll see um, a handful of tabs on the on the top of it. There's the, uh, the Zooms, there's the retreats, there's volunteering, 
there's the tattoo convention. I'll get to all of them, um, but they're all, all the options are there. So if you want to, if you want to apply for the retreat, um, you go to retreat, you hit learn more, and there's a Google doc that you fill out, just fill the stuff out and then submit it. And when we go through all the applications, we'll pick how we, however we will pick how we pick. And then, um, we'll let you know if you're, if you're coming or not. Um, so like I said, we camped it, it. It's, I mean, if you have an RV or something, bring it, but we camped in tents. That's what we did. There was a water bladder that we used for showers. Like it was, it was like being in the field again. Um, but every day at 8 a.m. And, and we cover flight and everything. We cover that. Um, so every day at 8 a.m. and 6 p.m. we uh, we would have an uh, we would have some type of of an event. Uh, fly fishing, archery, horseback riding. One day we had uh, Phoenix Weaponry also down there in, in Loveland in Loveland, Colorado. Um, they took us out to the range. Uh, they took us back to their weapons manufacturing plant. Showed us like showed us cool like made us feel welcome. Um, never met us. Never talked to us prior to that. It was just a very welcoming thing. Um, that took up like the whole day and it was just, everybody loved, loved that. So if somebody, if you're a veteran, or first responder and you came and you didn't want to do the 8am or 6pm stuff, you wanted to stay on the ranch, sure, go ahead. Or you wanted to go out into the town and see the town, whatever the case may be, not alone, preferably, you know what I mean? Go, go in pairs maybe. Um, but you're not restricted is, is essentially what it is. Um, but at eight o'clock at night is, is the required, the required, um, portion of the trip every night at eight o'clock so we had our bonfire it was a giant bonfire and everybody who came and then we had local vets coming also um sat around the bonfire and it mimics the monday and friday zoom so um we have the red yellow green we, we talk about oh i didn't even mention that about the zooms but it's applicable here too for the retreat in the zoom and the retreat we have a red yellow green system so Hey, where are you at? Like the, today, the last week, last month, where are you at? Red, yellow, green. You're good is green. Obviously some, some things are, you can be orange. You could be in the blue, you could be in between whatever. Um, but it's just to get you to think about where you're at and to give you things to start talking about. Um, cause not, not everybody likes to talk and then you get hung up on what do I say? So it's a whole train of thought thing. Um, so Everybody gets around and, and, and you don't have to talk, but you're there, you're present. You're showing everybody else that you care about them as much as they care about you. So something that separates this retreat from um, some of the clinical ones, I feel, is is we understand, like I said, the the alcohol dependency that is that comes with PTSD or any of these other other uh, uh, um, I don't like saying disorders, other things, other 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 issues we were bestowed. Um so so we don't if your drinking is an issue, we're going to talk about it. You know what I mean? Like that's one of the things that's probably going to be talked about at the fireside chat. We had a guy who came who 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 was essentially a, a, not, not functioning. You know what I mean? Um, chugging from a, pulling from a bottle. So one of the morning, the first morning, he was pulling from bottle. He was he was intoxicated. Um, the first, the second night, he shared. He talked for almost two and a half hours, um, and. The next day he had half a beer. He maintained his with, cause you can't not have anything. Like we, we understand that you can't just, I'm not, the withdrawal will kill you, can kill you. Um, so, so we, but if I want to see if you're using the alcohol as a means to run away or not deal, whatever word you want to use for that, avoid your issues, your traumas, or is it for a different issue? And if it's for a different issue, there's different types of treatment we get you involved in then. But if it's further running away from the pain, exactly what this is for this is why you're here so like i said he had a half a beer for the rest of the, for the rest of the trip and now he's six months sober um 
so a lot of the people who came came specifically for that for the eight o'clock time the, the the time where we get to talk and and it's it's not there's no like james and i are in charge of it we run it we're the co-founders of it, but there's no superiority there's no authority there's no like i said like i said before there's no overarching eyes behind you saying like it has you ha this is the criteria we have to talk what do you want to talk about like that's really what it is um so that's the retreats then we have mini ones throughout like we have mini ones to, to do the same thing but for more personal smaller groups not not as much um, and are these located um, all in Colorado or just various places? Throughout various the places. States? So we have we have nice. a, um, one of our guys. He he has a, a, a Poconos house, so he he lets us use that for retreat. We have another guy that has a house, in, a lake house in New Hampshire that allows people see what we're doing and why we're doing it, and they're like, dude, like that's a dumb dumb yes, like easy yes. So um, and then the last thing, the one of the last uh, approaches we take um is we have a 24 foot long mobile base so it it's one of those like uh trailers that used to carry like vehicles and stuff like that we customized it it's got two benches so if you're looking at it like rectangle it's got a bench on the short side a bench on the long side we have um with storage in it we have t two tables in there uh tv wi-fi xbox heating and air um the the ceiling walls and floor are all like the gray um like floor like the flooring paneling you know what i mean it's it's really it's really nice. So the whole premise behind that, our mission statement is to our mission statement is to two words: combat isolation. It's that simple. That's why we have the zooms. That's why we have the retreats. That's why we have the mobile bases to combat isolation because we believe isolation is what's really pushing. There's other factors, obviously, but it's the strongest factor in my in my opinion. Um, so the mobile base, like I said, my my drug, if you will, is isolation. Was still is, but I'm I'm pretty pretty okay with that now. But it was heavily. I wouldn't leave my house for a month at a time. Um, this mobile base is made for that. We understand that veterans and first responders aren't going to come out to events. They're not going to concerts. They're not going to football games. They're not doing community events, which means they're separate. So let's go themselves. to them, right? So let's go to them. Yeah. We're either going to have our mobile base at these events. So we like one of our one of our plans in the future is so we're we're 20 minutes from Philadelphia. Um, so the Eagles is the football team here. So what we want to have a partnership with the Eagles where we bring our mobile base and because there's a certain amount of tickets that you're allowed. Like if you leave, you can go back in where most of the tickets are. Once you leave, you're you're out. Um, so we want to have those tickets designated for us. And so that we, and this isn't just the Eagles. If if this if anybody's listening, they can have this happen for any other sports team. Let us know, and we will we will have a conversation. But for the for a veteran to have the ability to go into an event, realize that they are overwhelmed from the crowd or the noise, whatever the case may be, come out to our mobile base, decompress for however long it takes, and then go back into the event. You're setting a pattern for them. You're showing them that they don't have to run away from these feelings; that they can process them and then put it's exposure therapy. Go right back into the event. Deal with it. If it's too much, come out. We'll we'll deal with it with you and then send you right back in if you're comfortable enough going, obviously. So that's that's really the idea. And obviously, straight to a veteran or first responder or a so, – so that's the other thing. It's not just – and first responder is police, fire, EMS, dispatch, and – um, corrections officers, because what people don't realize is most of people who were in the military go to all of all five of those things. It's not just cops, EMS, and firefighter. It's the dispatchers, the county dispatchers, 
and the corrections officers also. They're seeing, they're seeing bad or hearing, and like we'd said earlier, you can hear things and it messed you off. They're seeing these things on a daily basis. This isn't a nine-month deployment, a, a, an 18-month de- This is a career. This isn't 20 years straight of all day hearing, my mom just got killed, my dad's dread. Those people need help just as much as I need help for going through what I went through. So we're going to help them. <laughs> um, so so, so the, the mobile base is, is for... Um, is for that also. So we try and also include the like the families and the support systems in, in the Zooms also. But um, I think what we have found is it's, it may just be the Monday Zooms that that the support systems are in and the Friday Zooms are the intricate Zooms that are for the, um, the service member themselves. Um, but we'll see with that. That's still, that's still up in the air right now. We also I have, have a question. A, uh, yeah. You, you went and you've um, defined the first responder, but when it comes to veteran, are these resources also, um, anybody who signed a contract, duty? anybody okay. who signed so, a contract, guard, awesome. reserve, co- even coast guard, cause they're not even considered a bit coast guard, Navy, any of the reserves, any of the national guards, any, anybody, anybody that was in the military, doesn't matter what or kind is of currently it. serving right? or is so currently oh, that's, that's active. A, yeah. And they need the help. Yeah. It's preferred. It's honestly, it's preferred. They do it when they're active because then look, people talk about this nonstop. And, and I feel like it's just one of those clear that first year out when you get out of the military is horrible for a lot of people. It's not guaranteed. If you have a good plan set up, you're good. But if you don't have a plan or a faulty one, you're, if you don't have something to replace the purpose you had, from being in the military. I don't care what your job role. You could be a cook. You could be some dude who's, who, 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 who gives papers to another person. You could be the girl who fills tent. I don't care what you did. You had a purpose. Whether it was a support role or whether it was a combat role, you had a purpose. You can't get out and then not have a purpose because then you isolate and then all of these negative thoughts compound themselves. And especially if you have trauma from before the military – Get it net, like start because mm-hmm. it's just building off of that. And then it's going to be hard for you to determine which one's the higher pain. You know what I mean? Like, which one do I have to deal with kind of stuff? That's kind of what I'm in. But yeah. So we have, we have a, um, a tattoo convention in, on, if you're in the, the, the New Jersey, Philadelphia, Delaware, New York area, or you don't mind traveling, um, we're having a tattoo convention on October 28th. You'll actually like this. So it's on the battleship New Jersey. So there's the the retired battleship that's docked here in Camden. Oh, cool! Um, so we're yeah. renting the whole thing out, and we're going to be having the, the, the both decks and the officers um, officers quarters. Uh, so we're having a whole tattoo conference there, our convention there. We're going to have resources, vet centers, VSOs, all of the any non veteran nonprofits, um, and then obviously our mobile base. We'll be talking about the zooms. Um, but yeah, this is this is as far as we know, this in our area, but possibly in the country. But I don't like saying that because that's too generalizing. But in our area, this is the first tattoo convention that's designed that's designed specifically for vets and first responders. Um, and the whole idea is, we all have tattoos that are mil- like that's what that's what draws us to it. Oh shit, dude! I see the rifle. I was in a group therapy, and I, it was a, a marine had an M4 in his arm. I knew right there that dude was infantry, and I and I, I I'm him and I are gonna be cool. To this day, I still we're cool. Group therapy ended years ago, but we're still, we're boys. You know what I mean? So tattoos, especially that we want to get the stories of the tattoos. Like you can't, you, like this is a, um, a quote from uh, Arlington Cemetery. It's uh, Flanders Field. 
Um, it's one of that was, that was Gunny's favorite poem. So when I got back from deployment, I got his favorite poem with the date of his death on my on my bicep. This was the unit the unit that I was in, two five Demon Company. Um, that like there's each one has a specific story. Um, now some some I people... just actually just booked an appointment at the end of the month to get a tattoo, which really just it. represents like the the triumph, right? Like the healing and the progress. It's really become evident to me as I go through this and I listen to other people's story, it's like, wow, you know, I've come so far and I want to, you know, symbolize that forever. Absolutely. Especially like we live in a world where people don't, people don't really deal with their shit. People, people don't really attend to their, to their themselves. And I think people, I would like in the future, (laughs) if people had arrogance on the fact that they were bettering themselves, but in a healthy way, not in a, not in a, mm-hmm. in a, in a, in a you know what I mean? Like the, the, the opposite of the shame that's there. Like, yeah, I have it. I will be in therapy for the rest of my life. Not because, um, because I know what therapy is because I know what it brings to my life and how it clarifies a lot of the, look, the world's ugly. The world has a lot of selfish people with a lot of individualistic people. And we come from a world that was not necessarily individualistic. We had to conform to the group or you were out. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's conflicting with our souls. It's conflicting with our personalities to their core. Um, so. Thank you guys for starting that. Um, I know when I was listening to you guys on um, the D-Guts podcast yeah. and really hearing about your organization and what you have to offer, my first thought was like, wow, you know, I wish that I knew that this existed in the in the lowest point, you know, of my trauma because there is so much power in just listening to other people's stories and just knowing that someone else out there is going through the same thing or not just the same thing, but it's pain, feeling pain. the way that you felt. Pain. Yeah, it's feeling the pain. Period. Exactly. That's it, that's uh-huh. something I was on a podcast last night, and it's something we it's something I talked about Friday because we have our Friday Zoom. It's, I talked about it on Friday too. Look, the zooms the zooms exist because of what we're just talking about. Veterans and first responders need a place to belong where they can talk about their issues without 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 any any outside blockers coming in. Um, so that's why I'm kind of hinging on the Friday ones really being for veterans now. But um, darn, I squirreled. <laughs> that is okay. I was just going to say, you know, it's just this, this platform, right? The resource that you guys have to offer is amazing. And not only that, but you have the conventions, the retreats, just other ways to combat isolation, which is another great point that I hadn't really thought about until I learned about your foundation, your nonprofit. And I was like, that's, that's amazing. And I can relate on a personal level. So I, I just thank you for what you guys are doing. I, I, well, number one, I, I I appreciate you for seeing it for what it actually is. People people obviously don't. I think what we do, mental health wise, healing ourselves, doing therapy, processing what we've been through, learning post traumatic growth. Um, like I said, I don't think a lot of people do it, so I think it's it's something to be. And because a lot of people don't do it, a lot of people don't get the overall message, don't get the overall point. You know what I mean? Um, but I think, and I'm biased obviously because I co-founded it, uh, but I think we work because we do something that a lot of people, a lot of organizations, many government, most government, um, but even a lot of nonprofits, we, we listen to the veteran. <laughs> like that's really all it is. We're listening to you and waiting for you to tell us what you need. You don't have to outright say it. We're pretty good at process of elimination at this point. You know what I mean? 
but it's people you're not it's it's we're still grassroots we still have our hearts we still have the soul in the, in the, in the organization and we're not checking boxes we're not doing shit for statistics we're not doing shit for money money matters right. getting sponsorships for us matters because we're a nonprofit selling our merchandise matters because we're a nonprofit because the any money we get all this goes to the retreats it goes but, to to fueling the vehicle and, and having the mobile base in people at people's houses or at events. But you don't need all of that to continue to run your mission no. because no, exactly. So it's like you guys are just pure, genuine people who want to support and help our military veterans and first responders. Yes. And all the money in the world or not, it's still going to happen. The mission yeah. will continue. And something, and that is something awesome. I do want to say is, so James uh, James Corbett, the other co-founder, he's not a veteran. He's a civilian entirely. Um, people have negative thoughts on that. I will have words easily. Pe- people just people think because it's a veteran nonprofit, a civilian can't have co-founded it. And I think, I'm sure you've run into people. Ha- people That's insane. People- I see it as like a way for the civilian to give back for the service that the military provides to i mean that's, you know. that's it in its in its easiest yeah. yeah but even so like i'm sure you've run into people who weren't in the military who have the personality of somebody who was in the military so that sure. you know what i mean that's how he is it's it's so there's only there's been a handful of people who who wanted to be rude for just they they were not dealing with their own issues and they were projecting right. yep. their own issues on him mm-hmm. you know what i mean um so I just wanted to say that he he likes to when we're on when we're on meetings and stuff and podcasts and stuff together he likes to put that out there so there isn't a, a, a no mis- misconceptions or anything like that um but uh, obviously what what I co-founded this I didn't found this him and I did this together he like he is a pivotal pivotal part of this um but yeah it's 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 listening to the veterans honestly it's it's really it's it's. I don't think there's a set formula for this kind of stuff. I don't think there's a, a form that we should have to fill out every. I, I I I get it for organizational purposes, but that is its purpose. Is organization in practicality, you're slowing the response that that person needs. So, like, I give business cards out with my email and 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 uh, my cell phone number on it. Cause, like, we don't have business phones. You know what I mean? It's it's my phone number. Um. So I get. That's the other thing that I I think. This is one of the things we want to do is is we want people to have this same mindset. We want people to be emotionally intelligent, emotional leaders. We want people to, we want veterans to train. I say veterans because that I'm a it's but veterans first responders anybody to train other people. Look, I when when I first started when I when we first started this, uh, I was still in the army. I hadn't gotten out yet. Like we we were still I was still in. Um, so the guys I was in with got a taste of it. And then I got out and, 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 and I was separated from them and um, they started seeing what we were doing. I had a guy reach out to me who I knew him and I knew what he was like. People don't understand that people think that people in the military aren't like people in civilian, like they're not doing drugs. They're not, they are, they are, they get kicked out eventually if they get caught, but they are. Um, so he was dealing with issues and he was, he was abusing narcotics um and alcohol and, and, and shit like that his wife didn't know he had ptsd he would not divulge anything to her his parents nothing he was isolated from himself um and then he started seeing the zooms and he started seeing the the stuff we post and he hopped in a zoom and he got himself in therapy he's off drugs he's he's he doesn't drink medical marijuana at, at its bare minimum and his fat his what he's healthy now 
He he That's has amazing. a whole he has a whole Instagram page dedicated to like Vegas food. Like he's found a purpose. He's found something that keeps him going. Small victories. It's really, I think I think when when positive things, I still struggle to process positive things. Like when I, I don't want to spiral too fast, but I might. Um, when we when I was when I was burning alive, I I I had the the most. I hit the peak of serenity. I hit the peak of happiness. I hit the highest positive feeling I think my brain could register. Um, but also, on the other hand, I experienced the highest level of fear that my brain could. Ex- so I hit two tops of the totems, and now I have to come to the terms that I'm never going to touch those tops again unless I'm in those situations again. Um, and I feel like that's, I feel like my therapist said this, you've, you've lived six lives in one life, essentially. I don't think it's that much. I don't think it's that much, but it, more I like two lives. I've, I think I've gotten all of the experience of one life early on. And now I have to live this gray life of, well, I know I'm never going to hit that point. But w- the reason I'm mentioning that is, um, Oh, hi. Hi. Uh, sorry. The reason I'm mentioning that is, um, what did I just say? I squirreled. That you lived two lives. Oh yes. Your yes, therapist. yes. Yeah. When I first, I went numb, like I said. So when I first started therapy, there was nothing, there was no feelings. So I, I forgot, like legitimately forgot what sadness and happiness and anger felt like. I forgot what the, what the, what the baselines were. So I had these pedestals set for what and i would never achieve them so i was never happy i was never sad i was i just wasn't feeling it the, the in its truest sense um still struggle with that now it's it's still a thing but i i'm i'm i think i'm more attentive on on it would take me like a month or like two two or three weeks to like sit back and, oh shit that was a good that was a good day i had a good day two weeks ago shit where now, like now, it's. I mean, it, it's still obviously false to that, where I may not realize it. Um, but yeah, the positive and that's okay, things are harder. Right? To, because it it's okay because you brought up too, like in saying your therapist said you live six lives, and you say you live two. You've experienced way more than anybody is probably going to ever experience, and the same people with those same experiences. Like we're not made to live through that. <laughs> we're not. I agree with that a hundred percent. So you 100%. have to be so proud. And of what you have accomplished and worked through and accept the fact that, no, it's not normal. And so we're not doing, it's not normal to go through all that. It's not normal to feel and process and, and be how you are, but it just is, it is what it is. That's your normal. I think, I think we normalize it because it was the job. Exactly. In reality, like, like kids died there. Like I stepped on, a, I stepped in a human man's brain. Like I remember those things, and that's just I don't, I don't know another person in my life who has physically seen another human's brain, let alone right in it and heard what that sounds like, kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I, my very so, first. I mean, um, for people who are like out there, you have to be kind to yourself, and you have yes. to say that, like, don't beat yourself up. You were in that position. No, it's not normal accept that and like we'll just move on from it we'll deal with it 
Because I think we tend to just beat ourselves up for feeling the way that we feel. And we don't take the time to accept that these experiences that we've been through and the things that we've seen are 100% not normal. And thus, we can't compare our life and our feelings to the next person around us. And I think exactly what you just said. I went into the army at 23. I got out of the army at 23. My life paused for five years. So I get out of the military. And one of the reasons that I think we fall into that in that first year, or however much time you want to say, when you get back into society, you compare yourself to your peers. My friends are past college. They have their degrees. They have their careers. They have a wife, kids, a house. So then you compare to your – exactly what you just said. It's not It's not yep. the same. You're, com- you're literally – I hate the cliche, but you're comparing apples to orange. You're comparing fruit to vegetables, really. It's just completely – they change. It's a different yep. – um, yes. And so I, I think that's something that is also not really talked about. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you've created a, a platform to do so. And absolutely. I wanted to bring up one last thing because I think it's, it's, it might resonate for any listeners that may be in the army or maybe in a position to influence and affect change at the policy level. So I actually did some research um, regarding the suicide rates in the Department of Defense. They release a report every year. So this is the most recent report, and it essentially compares all the services, and it compares all of the services to the rest of the country. Oh, so, so it's doing like society. It's comparing it to society suicide rates, also. It, exactly. Okay. So first, I want to say that the military's overall suicide rates are very close to the suicide rates in the entire country. So I was honestly kind of surprised about that because I think we, because we are in the military, we just relate the two. But if you think about what's going on outside of the military, the rates are very much the same. So but with the statistic, because I've always wondered this when I look it up, for the statistic that is the society also, are ve- are they excluding the veterans that do it? Or, or, or are the veterans that commit suicide also included in the societal statistic? You know what I mean? Because they're, they're not in the military anymore. Yeah. That's fair. I'm gonna have to go look at the uh, the annex notes yeah. to to see that, um, but because that's a good point. But then on the next point, I wanted to mention because I was curious comparing the different services because the different services have different missions and you know different things. And would you be surprised if I told you that the army did have the highest suicide rate? No, I would honestly think it's the navy. No, the army. Oh, you said the army does. Yeah, the army. Oh, does. yeah. Then, then yes, I am surprised that, that the army does have the highest suicide rate. <laughs> wow, it's it's the army, then it's the navy. Yes, I knew navy was high. The, yeah, then it's the air force and then the marines. So, I just I that, I wanted to point that the, out. Marines are on the bottom. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it might be worth looking into even more. Um, yeah, but I, I just absolutely. I wanted to bring that up just because, like, going through your story. Honestly, my experience in the Navy obviously is going to be different than, you know, my experience in the someone Army. else and your experience in the Army. But just the experience that you did open up and share with us, I just keep thinking, like, what what support, what resources, what what advocacy did you have to help you get through that mentally? Because 
it's paramount, paramount to your overall health and well-being. It sounds like they just chewed you up and spit you out. And I know that happens not just in the army, but with a lot of people in the service. And I just, I want us to do better, you know, as leaders in the service, right? It's just do better and make sure that our our sailors, Marines, soldiers have that support and that advocacy and those resources available to them. Absolutely. So I know for, so for me specifically, it was my support system was probably the, the, the paramount thing. The fact that I had a strong, have and had, even in the beginning, that's, I think that's where it's more necessary. But if you're a combat veteran, and that doesn't mean you experienced combat, that means you deployed for 30 days or more in a combat zone, you can go get therapy at a vet center free of charge. You don't have to have a PTSD percentage. You don't have to have a VA percentage. You can go get therapy at the vet center. That's where I do my therapy. Um, so they they are part of the VA, but they are so they're funded by the VA, but the their records are their records. So the VA doesn't have you have to give access to those records. I didn't have practical resources. I didn't have resources that I could immediately turn to and say, hey, this is going to help me pave the ways that I can properly reintegrate, reintegrate into society. I didn't really have resources, even, I mean, aside from the vet center, and I did that research, the, the military didn't say, hey, this exists. I found that. Um, yeah, I don't- And I, I think they should. No, 100%. They, mil- so that's like one of the end, that's one of the end goals. I don't know what it's called for you, uh, for the Navy, but for like the Army, when you get out of the five-day workshop, is the, it's the ACAP. It's the ACAP work you-, you, you um, it's a five-day workshop, right? That's where they tell you your retirement benefits, how to do a resume, um, all that really good, I'm going to reintegrate you into society stuff that does not, everybody throws those pamphlets out when they leave that room. So what, one of our end goals, especially mine, because I sat through one of those fi- uh, five-day briefs, I want a day dedicated to us, Project Refit, where we explain this is what you're feeling, could be feeling. These are the symptoms. This is why it could be happening. This is how you deal with it. We aren't the only nonprofit. Here's a, here's the ones we partner with. This is what they do. We have we we just partnered with a um, couple of days ago with a, a a nonprofit in Wisconsin that if you are a, um, a, a homeless or a displaced veteran that they have 15 tiny homes and you can live in that tiny home rent free and 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 it's to help it's to help you get it's to help you get better. You don't just go and live there and oh bye. You're going to do things to better yourself. You know what I mean? So show them too. But yeah, I don't, I don't think, I don't think it's, it's, um, I think the last, the last time I heard there's something like 75,000 veteran nonprofits out there. We had, um, we do missions also. So we had a cop in Louisiana, the, the cop who actually came to our retreat before the retreat, this is how we got in contact with her, um, her roof. Uh, a Louisiana storm. I, I said Florida because that was a different person. Louisiana, her store, her her roof flew off in a storm. So we raised money. We're in Jersey, drove 19 hours, and re, uh, got some volunteers and rebuilt her roof for her. Um, she's taking care of her her adult brother, all all these kinds of things. So she needed help. The other one was we had a cop in um in Florida. He had been held um hostage by like or held at gunpoint uh, with a shotgun. So hostage that still works. Um, took some time off work to obviously deal with, with what that would do to you. Um, went back to work. He had a guy handcuffed and just the way the guy cinched, he broke all the fingers or like the, the, not, not the thumb, but the other fingers in the, um, cop's hand. So they had a storm and both of his daughter's bedrooms, the, um, North wall say, uh, no insulation, no drywall. And it was just like the, um, there was no floor. They needed the floating floor put in also. So James and I, they had the supplies already. We didn't have to raise money for that, which is 
it made it faster, obviously. Um, him and I flew down uh, in, a, in a weekend. We put – him and I put the um, – he did most of it because I had bad feet, to be honest. I can't be on my feet long, so it's I'm limited on what I could do. But we did it. Um, did the insulation, the drywall, and put the feet uh, – the, the, the feet in, the floor in. Um, so, like, to us, that was small. But to that father, his daughters now have bedrooms to sleep in. They don't have to worry about drafts coming in or, or mosquito, whatever the case may be. Um, we have a Marine down here who, who, who um, his house burnt down. So we partnered. We had an event, raised some money for them. So it's, it's, we, don't, we don't really share GoFundMes. And we've had people like, hey, can you share? We, 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 we don't send money where we don't know it's going. If we don't personally know the, the, the family that's being affected by it, we, we in good heart, yeah, we can't I've- do it. I've seen you guys send checks to people yes. who need it. Yeah, yes. I think that's awesome. Yes. Um, you did mention that you had a volunteer page. Is there a way that anybody who wants to like volunteer or get involved with the organization that can kind of sign up? And... Yes. Yes, there is. So okay. um, projectrefit.us, the website again. We're going back there. Um, next to the retreat and the uh, other tabs is the volunteer tab. So we would have people coming to us and saying they want to volunteer, but it's kind of hard putting you somewhere where we don't know what your skills are. You know what I mean? So in the volu- it's a Google Doc. You hit volunteer, you open the Google Doc, and you fill out the um, the questionnaire, and you see where you, you tell us where you will be better fit. If you want to try and like, we have volunteers who exclusively get us on podcast, get me on podcasts. Like that is what they do. Yeah, that that is needed. We need that. So if anybody's listening, knows any other podcasts, send us an email. Um, I'll 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 tell my email uh, on this also. Um, actually, it's simple. D, just my first initial at projectrefit.us, which is the website. You know what I mean? So that's my email. Really, really, really simple. Um, uh, but we have we have people um local if they want to help us drive the truck down to events because that's we're we're very limited on the amount of people we have to i'm in school i just got a job too so it's it's limited um so you tell us what where you best fit where you see that you could best fit um in our uh in our web if you will if that's finding sponsorships for us you, you you're connected to various businesses that support veteran veterans um you want to make a connection by all means i'm happy james james and i are both happy to have zooms um phone calls, whatever it is, uh, any networking, you know what I mean? And then, but if you also want to volunteer at an event, you just leave, if you live in, in, in our area, in the Tri-State, the Jersey, Philly, Delaware area, and you want to volunteer at the, um, we have a golf outing in May. And we also have the, like I mentioned, the tattoo convention on October 28th. If you want to volunteer for that, put the, fill out the volunteer form and exclusively say, Hey, I want to volunteer at the, uh, at the at the tattoo event and you're more than more than welcome to it's we we need volunteers great well i appreciate you coming on and talking to me daniel um this was a very insightful conversation and i'm so glad to have the opportunity to like promote your mission and project refit because i think that it's just gonna help so many people not only that but you sharing your personal story and being so vulnerable with me and the audience it's a level of bravery that is indescribable. Um, I appreciate that. You know, yeah. And, and it's, it's a testament, you know, to your progress and your healing to even be able to speak about that because, you know, not a lot of people can, and if you can't, that's okay. But you'll get get there at some point. I've been in therapy since 2016 continuously. So, I mean, that's, that's why I've, I've worked on it. I mean, if you haven't done therapy and you're just realizing these things, don't, don't fault yourself. I also want to thank you for having me on here. Number one, 
but for having this type of podcast because I'm doing my work and stuff, but we don't, it's, this is paramount in, in providing the reason you're the connection, you're the conduit to get the, um, veterans, the resources or first responders, if they're listening, the, the resources they need. Something I forgot about the vet center, which I think actually is important is, um, if you're, if you're a direct family member, parent, um, uh, or sibling, um, or I'm, I'm pretty sure significant other passed away on a combat deployment, you can also go to the vet center. Okay. Yeah. So just, just that, that popped back into my mind. I wanted to throw that back. The vet center no, is a beautiful, awesome. beautiful, they're, they're everywhere. You can Google, don't Google vet center. Cause you'll, you'll get like veteran veterinary clinics, um, through <laughs> veteran, yeah, veterans, veteran center. And then, and it'll, it'll have it on there. Um, the VA also has the, the, the registry of all of them. So you can, you can find it there, but I, I recommend if you are a combat veteran or even if you didn't see combat, like I said, if you deployed to a combat zone, like my second deployment, Africa, we didn't see combat, combat zone though. You can go get therapy and I don't see why you, why you, why you wouldn't get the ducks in a row, you know? Yep. Therapy's awesome. And we're going to continue to promote that message. And you're more than welcome (laughs) to come on. I'm on the Friday Zooms. Um, I'm not on the Monday ones because I have school Monday, Wednesday. So Friday, if you want to come on that Zoom, I should, I'll be on Friday's Zoom. So if you want to come on there, you're more than welcome to. Yeah. See, just, yeah, just look at the environment just, and see how the... Just listen in, yeah, and and talk about it more to the audience and just, you know, about how beneficial it can be. So, yeah. No, thank you again, and uh, you enjoy the rest of your Sunday. I, I thank you for coming on and talking to me. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Seeds of Triumph podcast. I hope that you enjoyed the episode today. And thanks for your support and listening. And as always, please contact us at seedsoftriumph.podcast at gmail.com for any questions, inquiries. If you want to get in contact with a previous guest, anything, shoot us an email and we will respond to you. Next, if you're struggling with your mental health or you just want to look at the resources that are available, please access the link in the episode description. I have put together a list of military mental health resources, crisis lines, as well as a few nonprofit organizations that may not be widely known to include Daniel's nonprofit Project Refit. Lastly, I have included some book recommendations to our list of resources. These books I have all personally read and can attest that they have been very helpful. They're very good and insightful and just really understanding trauma and resiliency and how the brain works. And there's a couple of books in there that have their own inspirational stories. So please check out the resources um, that we put together for you. And once again, thank you for listening to the Seeds of Triumph podcast. The views expressed by the speaker and all guests are not those of the Department of Defense, United States Navy, or any other government agency. They are strictly those of the speakers who do not speak for any other organization or entity. The speakers are not mental health professionals and do not intend any of the content of this podcast as mental health advice. If you need professional mental health advice, please seek out your closest military or civilian mental health providers immediately.